Before we resume our uh, studies on the book of Exodus, and in particular Exodus 20, I would like to extend a very warm welcome to our listening audience on Sermon Audio. We trust that in these very trying times you will find our studies both informative and uplifting, and that you will continue to tune in to them on a regular basis. Today's message is the third in a series on the Ten Commandments, which we have been looking at in chapter 20 of Exodus. And so our main text for today is Exodus 20, verses 12 to 17. So if you have your Bibles handy, would you all please turn with me to Exodus chapter 20, verses 12 to 17, and we'll read these verses together. Verse 12, Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. And verse 17, Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. And may God, the Holy Spirit, grant us the wisdom to understand the text before us and how it applies to us. But first, let's begin in a word of prayer. Father, we are so thankful for the word of God that we have in our hands today. And as we meditate upon the passages before us, we pray that the Spirit of God will give us understanding and be pleased to magnify the Lord Jesus in our midst. For we ask it in his name and always for his glory. Amen. Perhaps uh, before we go any further, It would be profitable to do a quick review or summary of what we call dispensations. Quote, a dispensation is a period of time during which man is tested in respect to obedience to some definite revelation of God's will, end of quote. Now, this is the definition given to us by Merrill Unger in his Bible Dictionary. Now, there are seven such dispensations found in Scripture. Each one, as we have seen in our previous studies, begins with a covenant outlining man's responsibility, resulting in failure, followed by judgment, but always left with some grace to carry on. Thus far, we have come through four such dispensations. The first was the dispensation of innocence followed by the dispensation of conscience, then the dispensation of human government, and finally, the dispensation of promise, which too ended in failure and resulted in the bondage of the Jewish people in Egypt for 400 years. And so as the book of Exodus begins, we witness a new dispensation taking place, that of law in particular chapters 19 and 20. Now this fifth dispensation of law would last until the death and resurrection of our Lord 
which would be known as the dispensation of grace or the church age. But here in Exodus 20, the law is being given to Israel via Moses in response to the people's affirmation in Exodus 19, verse 8. And all the people answered and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses returned the words of the people unto the Lord. Now, let's read the fifth commandment with which we'll begin today's sermon. Verse 12. Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Here we have the second table of stone containing the last six commandments which deal with man's responsibility to man. And the first of these is to honor one's father and mother. Now much has been written on this particular commandment, and so much more can be said about it as well. But for our intents and purposes, let's mention these few points in particular. First, in order to honor parents, it is of paramount importance to understand what it means to honor them. And in order to do that, it is imperative to understand who they are and what they have done to deserve that honor. Though God is the primary source of all life, it is our parents, our mothers and fathers who bring us into this world in the first place. It is because of their love and care and sacrifice that children reach their adulthood. The challenges of parenthood are without limit. Mothers, in particular, carry the greatest burdens. Not only is the birth of a child the most painful experience, but it is the mother's constant care and nursing of the infant uh, that is unsurpassed by anything else in this life. Her love and devotion to her children is what instills a kind and generous character. But the father, too, has a profound effect upon the children's lives as well. So many fathers who have neglected their responsibility to their children have brought ruination upon them. But it is the father who is to teach the children about God who he is and what his will is and how much he loves his creation and so on. Strength of character and courage is engendered by fathers who take their responsibilities seriously. The children are secure and safe because of the parents who raise them. On those bases alone, children ought to obey their parents in everything. They are to recognize their dependence upon their parents and therefore show them respect, not only outwardly, but also inwardly. All that the children learn, discover, and have are given to them by their parents, especially in the early years. And when they mature and start families of their own, they begin to realize how much their parents have done for them and how difficult it was to raise them. Growing children are to honor their parents by endeavoring in everything to bring 
comfort to their parents and lovingly care for their needs in their old age. Children who thus care for their parents find great consolation and blessing in their God and Savior. And though their length of days on this earth may not be great in actual numbers, they will be long in his grace and in his peace, filled with spiritual prosperity and joy in the Lord. And if children have thus honored their parents, then their greatest temporal reward will be their own children and grandchildren who in turn will honor them in like manner. Does not the Bible say in Galatians 6, 7, Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Parents are to be honored, whether children think they deserve it or not. They are to be honored and obeyed because God commands it. And if we cannot or will not honor our parents whom we know and see, then how can we ever honor God? Now, before we go on to the next commandment, I feel I need to relate this personal story to drive the point home. Some 30 years ago, I taught a Friday night youth group Bible study at the chapel where I was attending. Now, our group had young people anywhere from the age of 13 upwards into their late 20s. It was a no-holds-barred Bible study. There was not a single question that was ever turned away, and that is why they came. Each night before I left, I would present the gospel of salvation, asking them, if they were to die, where would they go? Heaven or hell? And in every uh, closing remark, I would often tell them, remember to obey your parents. After several months of these studies, one Friday night, a car of four or five teenagers crashed and all of them were killed. There would have been another teenager among the dead had he not obeyed his parents who refused to let him go with the rest. Many in our youth group had lost close friends in that tragic accident and were in a state of shock in the next Bible study. But the message was driven home as to how serious God is in his word. And from that night on, these young people started bringing their friends to the Bible study as well, so that they too would hear the truth and be saved. Now let's look at the sixth commandment in verse 13. Thou shalt not kill. This too has caused much confusion and contention, especially in the modern era. And yet this short, simple statement, thou shalt not kill, is very clearly outlined in Scripture, so much so that even a child has no difficulty com comprehending it. You shall not murder. That is the meaning of this commandment, as we shall see in a moment. Murder is forbidden. 
Any reasonable person can agree to and support that one. So what is murder in the truest sense? Webster's Dictionary defines it as, quote, the unlawful and malicious or premeditated killing of one human being by another. That's what it means. The Lord Jesus himself repeats this commandment in Matthew 19, 18 this way, Thou shalt do no murder. And the penalty for murder is death. And dear friends, God has never rescinded that penalty. But in order to be executed for murder, there had to first of all have been two or three eyewitnesses to the murder. In Deuteronomy 17.6 we read, At the mouth of two witnesses, or three witnesses, shall he that is worthy of death be put to death. But at the mouth of one witness, he shall not be put to death. And just to see how serious God was about this, it was the responsibility of the eyewitnesses to execute the murderer. Deuteronomy 17.7 The hands of the witnesses shall be first upon him to put him to death and afterward the hands of all the people. So thou shalt put the evil away from among you. Now we must remember that later as Israel and the other nations became structured and had organized governments, it became the rulers or government's responsibility to execute criminals. We are told in Romans 13.4 that those who govern have been put there by God's authority and that everyone is to be subject unto them and that he, the ruler, is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain, for he is the minister of God, a revenger, to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. The execution of murderers was never intended to be used as a deterrent, although it does do that. But it was decreed by God that the murderer's life was to be taken because God commanded Mo Noah way back in Genesis 9, 6, Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. Now listen to this. For in the image of God made he man. And that is why, dearly beloved, the death penalty can never be removed by governments, regardless of how civilized they think they may be. And if this had been faithfully followed, a murderer would never have killed twice. But God also allowed for mercy in the accidental killing of a human being. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 42, and Joshua 20, verse 3, God appointed cities of refuge to which anyone who accidentally killed someone might flee to and be spared from the executioner. 
Also, there were allowances for self-defense and for wars where soldiers had to kill or to be killed. Then we come to the seventh commandment in verse 14 of Exodus 20. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Sadly enough, our present society is filled with broken families, mostly due to the breaking of this commandment, adultery. Hollywood has for nearly a hundred years glamorized adultery and the ruination of families. This has been one area in which the adversary has been extremely successful. Marriage and divorce and remarriage are so commonplace today that no one thinks anything about it. And the greater tragedy is that professing Christians too see nothing sinful about this either. And the fruits of just disobeying this one commandment has caused more damage to the cause of Christ than anything else. Families are in shambles. Children's lives are destroyed. The institution of marriage is mocked and the spiritual well-being of our children is ruined. No wonder so many have mental issues and turn to drugs, alcohol, and finally to suicide. Further deception is perpetrated upon these broken homes by foisting upon them the destructive ideology of psychology, which tells them that they're okay instead of the truth that they have committed a heinous sin and that the only solution is repentance and forgiveness through Christ and his grace. Broken homes weaken societies and produce more broken homes. Not only does adultery destroy the two people directly involved, but causes unbelievable collateral damage to the rest of their loved ones, not only family, but friends and neighbors, but it also brings financial ruin. And the penalty for adultery was just as severe as for murder, death, death by stoning. Leviticus 20.10 says, And the man that committeth adultery with another man's wife, even he that committeth adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. No ifs, ands, and buts. When a man and a woman come together in holy matrimony and are married, they become one flesh, and they cannot ever unbecome that one flesh. In God's institution of marriage, marriage was between one man and one woman till death do they part. No exceptions. And God forgive and have mercy on those ministers who marry people who have been divorced and their former spouses are still living. There is much contention over this one as well. Do you see, dearly beloved, how subtle the enemy is? He always finds reasonable excuses. There is always the innocent party excuse. 
or the incompatibility argument or the no longer in love issue. It doesn't matter. God says very clearly in Matthew 19, 6, Wherefore they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. God hates divorce. Malachi 2.16 clearly states, For the Lord, the God of Israel, saith that he hateth putting away. And how much more clearly can this be stated than by the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 7, verses 2 to 3. For the woman which hath a husband is bound by the law to her husband, that is the law of God, so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. So then if while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from that law, so that she is no more adulteress, though she be married to another man. That, my dearly beloved, is why marriage must never be entered into lightly. So choose carefully and choose wisely. Next, we have here in verse 15 of Exodus 20, the eighth commandment, thou shalt not steal. Stealing comes in uh, many forms. It can be in its uh, literal sense to take something that does not belong to us, as in the case of material things. Or it can be in stealing someone's reputation by knowingly slandering that person's name with malice in order to bring shame and misfortune to them. And the most heinous act of stealing is that of human beings, better known as kidnapping. In Exodus 21:16, the Lord includes this crime in more detail as well as its punishment. And he that stealeth a man and selleth him, or if he be found in his hand, he shall surely be put to death. It was the death penalty for such a crime. And none of us needs to be told what horrific effects that has on the family who has had their child taken. And yet today our governments are doing just this, on a regular basis when they remove children from their parents and then place them with strangers. Sometimes circumstances may warrant temporary removal of the children from an abusive environment, but by and large this is grossly overdone and is one of the most destructive practices that society has ever instituted. This practice has rarely ever had any positive outcomes, yet continues to be employed by our courts and governments more and more often. But in relation to Israel, we need to remember that only a few short weeks ago, Moses had delivered them out of Egypt. And while they were leaving, 
the Egyptians were relieved of their possessions as compensation to the children of Israel for the centuries of free slave labor. We are reminded in Exodus 12, verses 35 to 36, And the children of Israel did according to the word of Moses, and they borrowed of the Egyptians jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they lent unto them such things as they required, and they spoiled the Egyptians. Though the Lord himself gave Israel favor in the sight of the Egyptians in the way of just reparations, it was never meant to be a precedent allowing them to spoil others in the future. This commandment thus forbids any such thing to happen again, whether on a national scale, as in the case of the Egyptians, or in a small, personal, individual case. This, as we shall see in the latter chapters, or later chapters, includes returning anything that a neighbor may have borrowed from his or her neighbor. Otherwise, they would face serious consequences. Oh, dear friends, I ask you this with a sincere heart. How, how often have you taken something that did not belong to you? It could have been something as insignificant as a paperclip at your workplace or a pencil from your colleague's desk without asking. That, my friend, is stealing. We are all guilty of such things. But if we are truly a child of God, then we need to heed his commandment. Thou shalt not steal. The Apostle Paul writes to the Ephesian church in Ephesians 4.28 in a way of a reminder. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. For many today, thievery has become a way of life. There is a growing number of scam artists who make a lucrative living by deceiving the vulnerable and the unsuspecting members of our society, and in the process, stealing in some cases the entire life savings of the elderly. But God sees all things, and his war word warns us in Numbers 32, 23, that we can be sure that your sin will find you out. Therefore, dearly beloved, steal no more. Now we come to the ninth commandment in verse 16. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. In other words, thou shalt not lie. God hates a lying tongue, we are told in Proverbs six seventeen. It is the second in a list of seven sins which God hates most. It even comes before murder. Now, why is that? Because it connects us to the father of all lies, Satan. The Lord Jesus says of Satan in John eight forty four, when contending with the Pharisees, 
Ye are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Remember, dear friends, it is Satan who is responsible for the mess we find ourselves in today. It was he who deceived our first parents in the Garden of Eden to sin, thereby causing death to enter because of that sin. There is no more evil, vile, wicked, or destructive being in all of the universe than the adversary, the devil. And his most polished gift or skill is the gift of lying and deceit. James describes the lying tongue in James 3.8 as an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. More death, destruction, and ruined lives have been caused by lying tongues than by any other cause. Once a falsehood has been released, there is no taking it back. The damage has been done. And oh, how parents need to teach their children to not lie. How they must strive to inculcate into their children the value and the virtue of telling and speaking the truth at all costs. Societies fall, kingdoms topple, families self-destruct when bearing false witness gets out of hand. Bearing false witness by the religious community is what was used to crucify our Lord and Savior. Without false witnesses, the Pharisees would not have been able to pressure Pilate into crucifying Christ. But what is so insidious about this sin, the sin of lying, is that it eventually leads to murder in an effort to save face. For a child of God, there is no quicker way to lose one's testimony than to be caught in a downright lie. Finally, we come to the tenth and last of the Ten Commandments in verse 17. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. This is the complete embodiment of the lust of the eyes sin. All that is stated here and forbidden to the child of God is what the fallen nature thrives on. Greed, envy, never satisfied with one's own state in life or one's materialistic ownership, but always looking and desiring what others have or have accomplished. It is in this sin, the sin of covetousness, that all other more deadly sins have their beginning. The greed of man and the envy of one's neighbor is what drives the fallen nature to grasp 
what can only be gotten by lying, stealing, and cheating if the normal process of patiently working to achieve what one needs is too slow. When the Lord Jesus was asked by the lawyer in Matthew twenty-two thirty-six, Master, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. But then in verse 39, the Lord makes this interesting statement or this addition. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And what the Lord was telling him was this. If a man loves God in this way, then that man will not disobey or violate anything that God has commanded. This covers all the commandments listed in the first table of stone pertaining to God. The second one, if a man were to love others as himself, then he would do nothing to violate or hurt others in any shape or form. This commandment takes care of the second table of stone. And if man were to love this way, then he would never intentionally wrong God or his fellow man. That's why the Lord concludes with, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. But alas, no one can love this way except the one who went to the cross of Calvary to die in a place of sinners and pay the penalty that they could never pay. And when we look all around us today, we see the flagrant rejection of this last commandment. Men pillage and go to war to get what they crave for and cannot get any other way. Adultery is no longer frowned upon in society, let alone deemed sinful. Thievery in business world is not only prevalent, but encouraged as bigger companies take over weaker companies through what they call mergers. No thought whatsoever is given to the many lives which will be ruined and brought to poverty in the process. Aggressive ambition is often praised as good entrepreneurship and rarely recognized for what it truly is, greed. Not once does the Word of God ever have anything good to say about greed, but rather warns against it. Proverbs fifteen twenty seven warns, He that is greedy of gain troubleth his own house, but he that hateth gifts shall live. Oh, dear friends, how many homes have been shattered and families destroyed because men greedily pursued that great deal of a lifetime or that sure bet and in the process lost everything? 
covetousness should not be a trait of any child of God. There we have it. Ten commandments passed down to us by God himself. Though there may be very few who are genuine Christians and seek to follow them in this sin-ruined world, everyone has a copy of these commandments written in the conscience of their mind. And one day, when the sinner is brought to account and stands before the Almighty who implanted them there, they will be without excuse and will have to face the horrific sentence of guilty and be punished to eternal fire. Oh, dear friends, let me ask you this. Have you ever broken any of God's commandments before? Have you ever told the lie, stolen anything, or committed a sexual sin, whether in deed or even in thought? Of course you have. We all have. The Bible tells us in Romans 3.10 and 3.23, etc., there is none righteous, no, not one, and that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. But the good news is that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever, whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. John 3.16 That is why Jesus Christ, who is God Almighty, came to this earth and was born of a virgin to become man, so that he could die upon the cross of Calvary, taking your sins and my sins upon his shoulders and receiving God's punishment himself in our place. He died and was buried and rose after the third day, and now he is seated in heaven, interceding on our behalf and still saving sinners, all who will come to him by faith for their forgiveness of all their sins. It is God's gift to us. It cannot be deserved. It cannot be earned. It cannot be bought. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Ephesians 2, 8-9. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank thee for this time together in the study of thy word, and we pray that as we have read thy word, that it will indeed find an entrance into our heart and into our soul, so that we might be found faithful before thee. Part us now, we ask, with thy blessings. And if the Lord be not come, may it please thee once again to bring us together next Lord's Day to remember him and to study his word. For we ask it always in his name and for his glory. Amen.